0: Oh, let's try that again. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, we're glad you're here this morning. What a wonderful day to gather in uh, God's presence together as a corporate congregation and to come together to worship Him. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has uniquely created each one of us and he's given us the gifts and abilities and he's given us our personalities and he's created us for good works. And the one good work that he's created us for is that we all have been created to worship him and to give him worth and to give him the value that he deserves. And even if he never did anything for us, he is because he's God almighty, he's worthy of our praise. And so that's why we've gathered here this morning. That's why you've come here, is to lift our voices through song, to lift our voices through prayer, to uh, to listen to His word, and to uh, get connected and be reminded who He is, what He does, and give Him all the worth that He is deserves this morning. So I invite you to stand, and let's worship Him together. One, two, three, four.
1: going on, we want to encourage you to pay attention to your bulletins and the things that are happening, and and just want to encourage you to get plugged in. Uh, come fall, we'll have home groups kicking off and all kinds of different things. Well, let's pray as we continue to worship through giving this morning, as yeshers come forward. Father, we thank you for your provision, and you're amazing and kind. God, when we think about all that we have, we are blessed. We pray for those that are in Hawaii, especially on the island, as much as is burned. And hearing today there was uh, over 90 people that have been declared dead because of the fires, and the amount of loss that is there is tremendous. May your grace be upon them. Father, we would ask that you would send provision there and that you be with the pastors, as I've heard so many pastors doing ministry there and be with the Billy Graham Association as they send chaplains and encourage them. Lord, here on our home front, there's a lot of hurting people, a lot of people with needs. Lord, we want to take the provisions that you've given to us and, and funnel them through what we have here to meet those needs. As we give, may we give hilariously as an act of worship to you. And may you be honored by everything is said and done this morning. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: That's you. so reign supreme, that you have uniquely created each one of us in your image, for the purpose to reflect your glory, and to be like you. So we thank you for making that way for us. We rejoice in you, and we are grateful this morning for this day that you've given us, and for how you love. Spirit, we give our attention to you and your word. Yes, that you would reveal yourself through it in Jesus' name.
1: Amen. Amen. If you would open up your Bibles to Joshua chapter seven, as we take a look at the account of, of Achan, how many of you have ever had kids that have tried to hide what they're doing? You know it—it—it's it, 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 somewhat comical when you come in, especially when they're little, and you come into the room and they're doing something, and they go like this, and they sit there, and you're like, "What do you got behind your back? Nothing. What have you been doing? Nothing." And they got that look on their face. It's like, "Oh, I know." And then they have the look on their face. "Oh, he knows." You know, it's interesting how, and I was thinking about this in light of of Joshua 7 in this account, how instinctively we seek to hide our sin. Now, I know you all are going, yeah, those kids. But you're just as guilty. Because when you're driving down Highway 30 at 80 miles an hour, and you see the sheriff car that's right there, or maybe the one that's coming behind. I know you're stepping on the brake or you're slowing down going, I'm not looking, I'm not looking, I'm not looking. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm hiding the fact that I'm speeding, but I'm not looking. And the red and blues come in and they come in behind you. The officer says, did you know you were going fast? No. When you know you were speeding. You know, I watched some of these cop shows. And I was watching one last night. And they pulled somebody over. Yeah, and they brought the dog around. And the dog sniffed and alerted to the drugs that were in the car. And the gal was sitting there just like, What? What? And they opened the trunk. A hundred and forty pounds of pot was in the trunk. And she said... I didn't know it was in there. Right. Why do we instinctively try to hide our sin? Play dumb. Well, the answer is this, we think that if we hide it, we ignore it, we don't let anybody know about it, then no one will ever know. But I can tell you this, God knows. Lewis Sperry Schaefer once said this, It may be a hidden sin on earth, but it's a scandal in heaven. The fact is, it's a lie from Satan who says to you, Go ahead. No one will ever know. You know, there's no one around. And it's a false lie that's permeated our culture where people think that they can hide their sin, and yeah, you might get away with it for a little bit, but God knows. God knows what's going on. He knows what people do in their their private life. And, And here's the extension of that lie. The extension of the lie is this. What you do in private will have no impact on anybody else in the community, nor your family. Now, is that a truth or a lie? It's a lie. Because as your character deteriorates because of the practice of the hidden sin and because of the continu- continuation of lying, your integrity goes away. And then when it's found out, no one can trust you. No one can trust what's going on, and your sin will be found out. You know, you believe that it won't be found out, but in Hebrews. Chapter 4.13 says this, And there is no creature hidden from His sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. You're not hiding anything from God. God knows. And God is watching. And all you high schoolers that are in here, God is watching. And He's telling your parents. You know, I loved it when I was a youth pastor There was always a way, if I didn't know what was going on, I had a way of being able to talk with them to make them think I knew what was going on. And then they would spill the beans. Or people would say, how did you know? And i said, well, I'm a youth pastor and God told me. That only goes so far. But the reality is, God knows. Some people hide their sin because they're self-deceived. They create a narrative in their mind that it's not really sin. What I'm doing is not really that bad. And, and, you know, everybody's doing it. We've deteriorated even as a culture today where people no longer are doing their sin or hiding their sin in secret places, but they're doing it openly. They're going and they're robbing openly all of these different places and going into stores and all of these different things openly. Now, some people would still wear masks and different things like that. But the fact is, they're openly sinning, which tells you how this practice of sin has evolved into a, a new narrative where everything is OK within this. And why? Because they don't realize that their sin is not just a sin against humanity, but it's really a sin against God. In Numbers, chapter thirty-two twenty-three, it says, But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. This sin is a a strange thing. And so then you got to look at people and say, okay, well, you did it and then you tried to quit and you're doing it again and you try to quit and you do it again. You try to quit and all these other things. Why can't I quit sinning? Well, the fact of the matter is, whatever you're doing that's part of that sin, you love more than God. In fact, you love that sin. John 3.19 says this, This is the judgment that lights come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. Do we live in a culture that loves the darkness and the sin today? Absolutely. In church, we've got to be careful. You've got to be careful that we don't fall into the same pattern and path that the world has. You know, it's uh, talking and, and working with youth and and there's these phrases that come around. And and the one that really is interesting to me is when somebody's doing something in autumn and they'll say, well, don't judge me. And it's like this new thing. I'm doing what I'm doing. Don't judge me. And we've gotten to the thing where it's like, you know, you're not supposed to judge other people and. And don't judge me for what I'm doing. Don't judge me for my behavior. Don't judge me for all these things. That's a lie from the pit of hell. We do need to judge, and as the church, we do need to judge because the sin that people continue to practice or hide is destroying their life and destroying our community. And there there definitely needs to be a judgment between right and wrong. And the fact is, God does judge sin. There's a thing that's called divine retribution, and the fact is, God is holy and just, and he has to judge sin because of his very nature. And we should judge sin because we represent God to the world. Now, we come to Joshua 7, and in this account, there's this guy named Achan. We're going to learn Achan's name means trouble. Can you imagine Achan coming around? Hey, here comes trouble. And you're thinking, oh, it's cool, I, I kind of like that. Here comes trouble, yeah. No, not a good name to have. Achan brings trouble to the nation. And this account, and we have to kind of reach back on, on Joshua 6 because we got to know the context. God has been doing amazing things to fulfill His promise and getting people into the promised land, Israel. And He's He's done all of this stuff to get them there and they're coming off this tremendous victory in Jericho, where God said, Everything in Jericho is mine. You were banned from taking anything, because the first fruits of the land, Jericho belongs to me. Therefore, go in, destroy the city, burn everything, take the precious metals, take it to the treasury. That all belongs to me. And no one was to take from it. In fact, in Joshua 6:18. Says this, but as for you, only keep yourselves from the things under the ban. Note, so that you do not covet them and take some of the things that are under the ban and make the camp of Israel a curse and bring trouble on it. God was very specific in his instructions to Joshua and the nation of Israel. You all do not get to take anything from Jericho. And if you do, trouble's coming. Now, question if God gives a specific command, should you obey it? You should. And if you don't, the consequences of violating God's command will come upon you within that. And Achan stole from God. But it's interesting because God doesn't call him out for being a thief. God calls them out for acting unfaithfully. It's an interesting concept from God's perspective because God was faithful and He's calling the nation to act faithfully. In other words, trusting in Him. And Achan acted unfaithfully and trusted in himself, in his own personal provision. And there's a lot of people, as Achan believed, if I just do this... No one's going to know. It's all going to be okay. And you think about the size of the nation. They had an army of 605,000 people. Fighting men of fighting age. And how one guy, one guy, brings the nation down. And you think about this, this aspect. You say, well, why would God do this? The fact is, God will not be mocked. God will not be mocked. And whether it's in your household or it's in your community, if you name the name of Christ and you act unfaithfully towards God and you violate that command, you're going to bring down the consequences of that violation. So we've got to think, well, how should we respond? What should we learn from this account with Joshua? When God reveals a hidden sin in your life, you've got to remove it. You've got to cut it out completely. We're going to read through Joshua 7. We're going to see this account. It is not one of the happy passages that we find in Scripture. It's very troubling because of the events that are involved with it. But we need to hear it. We need to know. So let's stand as we read through Joshua 7. And may the Holy Spirit speak to your hearts. Says this, but as the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban, for Achan the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah, took some of the things under the ban. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. And now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth Avon, east of Bethel. And said to them, go up and spy out the land. And so the men went up and spied out Ai. They returned to Joshua and said to him, do not let all of the people go up. Only about two or three thousand men. They need to go up to Ai. Do not make all of the people toil up there for there are few. So about three thousand men from the people went up there and they fled before the men of Ai. The men of Ai struck down about thirty six of their men and pursued them from the gate as far as Cherubim, and struck them down on the, de- on the descent, so that the heart's note of the people melted and became as water. Well, Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth, and his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. Both he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why did you ever bring this people over the Jordan? only to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites? To destroy us? If only we had been willing to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say since Israel has turned their back before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it, and they will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? So the Lord said to Joshua, Rise up. Why is it that you've fallen on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. And they have even taken some of the things under the ban and have both stolen and deceived. Moreover, they have also put them among their own things. Therefore, the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies." They turn their backs before their enemies, for they have become accursed. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy the things under the ban from your midst. Rise up, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus, the Lord, the God of Israel has said, there are things under the ban in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you have removed the things under the band from your midst. When the morning, then you shall come near by your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes by lot shall come near by family, and the family which the Lord takes shall come near by household, and the house which the Lord takes shall come near by man by man. And it shall be that the one who is taken with the things under the ban. "...shall be burned with fire, he and all that belongs to him, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has committed a disgraceful thing in Israel." So Joshua rose early in the morning, brought Israel near by tribe, and the tribe by Judah was taken. He brought the family of Judah near, and he took the family of the Zerorites. And then he brought the family of the Zerorites near, man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought out his household near man by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah was taken. And then Joshua said to Achan, My son, I implore you, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give praise to Him, and tell me now what you've done. Do not hide it from me. And so Achan answered Joshua and and said, Truly, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. Note, when I saw... "...among the spoil of the beautiful mantle of Shinar, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a bar of gold fifty shekels in weight. Then I coveted them, and took them, and behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath it." So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was concealed in the tent and the silver underneath it. And they took them from inside the tent, brought them to Joshua. To all the sons of Israel, they poured them out before the Lord. And then Joshua and all of Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the mantle of the bar of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent and all that belonged to him. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. And all Israel stoned them with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And then they raised over him a great heap of stones that stands to this day, and the Lord turned from his fierceness of anger. And therefore, the name of the place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. May God bless the reading of this word. You be seated. When we look at this, we go, Have you ever like growing up as a kid and you were watching your brother and sister get in trouble and you went, oh, this is not good. I kind of get that sense in reading this like, oh, this is this is not good because of the seriousness of this. Achan's secret sin ignited the wrath of God against his own people. Now it's one thing for God's wrath to be upon the ungodly, but as the text says, the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under ban. And in verse one, it really lays out what had happened behind the scenes. God from heaven already saw this. He watches. And he says, The whole nation acted unfaithfully because of one man. Now in our Western mindset, we say, Well, that's not very fair. We're all about individualism. We're all about, well, hey, look at, you know, what this guy did doesn't affect me because that's his problem. It's not my problem. But when you're in the body of Christ, the sin of one will infect the whole body. And it, this passage starts out with but. And this is one of the bad buts in the Bible. It says but, and you're like, oh, this isn't good. Why? Because it comes on the coattails of a great victory. We had this great victory, but something bad's about to happen within this and after rejoicing with this faithfulness they were lord, they were warned don't loot the city Joshua 6:17 and 19 the city's under a ban notice the specifics that all belongs to the lord only Rahab the harlot and all with you in the house shall live because she hid the messengers with them but as for you keep yourselves from the things under the ban so that you do not covet them and take some of the things that are under the ban and make the camp of Israel a curse and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold articles and iron are holy unto the Lord. They shall belong to the Lord. Achan's action was based on covetousness. But what he was really violating was obedience unto the Lord. God gave a command. If God tells you don't do something, don't do something. It's not what, but you know, it was nice. No. God is very clear in the New Testament for believers. There are things that we should not do, that we should not practice as in the world. Fornication, adultery, all of these things, drunkenness, lasciviousness, wrath, witchcraft, which is pharmacology, and all of these other things. God is very clear, don't do these things. Because those those that practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Don't do them. But I can tell you as a pastor, and over time, so many times people are doing these things, and they say, you know, we got Christians that are moving in and hanging out, living with other, other people, naming the name of Christ, but living in fornication, and, and, and things. And they say, but you know, I love them. Wrong. What happens when we start graying the lines of obedience and faithfulness? We cross over and, and enter into the wrath that God has for the world, the judgment that's there. Achan's personal sin broke covenant on behalf of the nation of Israel. And the wrath of God is there. And you've got to think about it in context. What was God doing? God was giving the nation of Israel everything, the whole land. We've studied how they're going to get houses and they're going to get Wealth and they're going to get all of these things as God would move the people out of the land. But you know what Achan's problem was? He couldn't wait. He couldn't wait. He didn't want to wait. Achan's sin brought this judgment. In fact, in 1 Chronicles 2 7, it says, The son of Carmi was Achar, which is another way to pronounce Achan. The troubler of Israel who violated the ban. When you bring sin into your household, you are troubling your household. And that's fair warning. You say, well, it's just a little bit. A little bit of sin, a little bit of violation is troubling your household within that. And you think about all the sins that so quickly control our lives. We should not even mess with it at all. And what ends up happening is when we bring that sin, it devastates the lives that are people around us. And they don't even know it's coming. They don't even. I've done so many counseling sessions with wives who end up telling me about the sins of their husband, whether it's in pornography or adultery or drunkenness or these other things. And they're heartbroken and they said, I should have known, but I never knew. And now look at us. Devastating. And I've talked with with some men about times when their wives have left and they didn't know. And it was a gut punch because they were having an affair with another man. Devastating. parents finding out about the sins of their children and having to deal with the, the legal ramifications and all of these things because their kids started doing things they never should be doing. Devastating to the house. Now, as we take a look at verses 2 through 5, Joshua doesn't know it's coming. He didn't know it happened. They're preparing for the next battle. So Joshua says to the spies, go spy out the land and check it out. So he sends these spies to go out to Ai about 10 miles from where they were. They go out to the land, they go check it out, they come back and they say to Joshua, Joshua, no problem. It's a smaller city, we don't need to send everybody there. We only need to send maybe two or 3,000. It's a smaller city, it's easy. When you read the text, what is missing in the text? It's noticeable. No prayer. No direction. When we looked at the original attack on Jericho, it was the commander of the Lord's army that was saying, this is how you need to fight. And what was put in front of them every time they circled, the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of God. Joshua sends to the spies, spies come out and say, we got no problem. Joshua says, sounds good, go ahead and go. One of the dangers that we have in coming off a spiritual victory is, is overconfidence and self-confidence within this. AI, we don't really know where it is, but there is a modern tell, which is basically a mound, that's called the tell, which literally means the heap. We know that Abraham had spent time in AI and in that area. But as he works through this, he, could, he gets the report back and he underestimated Don't ever underestimate the power of the enemy and overestimate your ability to conquer them. That's a failure point. When you underestimate sin and overestimate your power to to conquer it, it's a failure point within this. So as we read, the 3,000 men, they go up and they go to the fight and they go to fight AI and they get there and AI hands them their lunch. They get there and they just get whooped on. And these 3,000 soldiers are running down in the decline away from Ai as the soldiers of Ai are coming after him and they catch up to 36 men and 36 men die. Question, how many people died in Jericho in the battle? None. None. And now 36 men lost their life in this battle, within this. What's more importantly is the text that describes it says, and the hearts of the people melted. Now, that does that term sound familiar? It should. Because that's the same term that's used to describe the hearts of the people of Canaan. When God was against the people of Canaan, and it says, and their hearts melted. They lost all courage. They lost their ability to stand. And they couldn't figure it out. And as a result, that sin brought grief. Joshua in verses 6-9, through nine, what does he do? He cries out, he laments. 6-9 is a prayer of lament where Joshua, he tears his clothes. And he goes to the elders and they tear their clothes. And then they throw dust on their head. And they, they're sitting and they're crying and they're wailing. Because they have this loss within this. And, and the text says they're grieving before the ark of God. Which is the presence of God that is there. And they're showing all of this grief. Now again, in the Near Eastern culture... Western culture we don't grieve like the near eastern culture does. Western culture we we cry a little bit we kind of hide our grief. Near eastern culture when they when they grieve they wail. Wail and they they would in the old culture they would they would beat their chest, they would tear their clothes, they would sit in ashes, they would throw dust and all of these things why? because they demonstrated their grief outwardly. Imagine Joshua, he's a leader of this nation and he's grieving and the elders are grieving. Why? Because they lost. More importantly, they recognize that God abandoned them. And through anger and frustration, they ask the question, why God? Have you ever been in a place of grief and sorrow and suffering where you say, God, why? Why, God? Why did you let this happen? Why did this person die? Why did my marriage fail? Why have my kids gone astray? Why do I have to go visit my child in jail? Why, God? Almost accusatory. When you read Joshua's lament, it's like he's rebuking God. And Israel had done that earlier in the wilderness. God, why did you bring us out of Egypt just to kill us in the desert? Joshua says, God, why did you bring us across the Jordan just to let these people kill us? One of the tragedies of grief is this. Grief will blind you to truth and to the reality. Joshua is, 36 of my guys died. We we lost. We're here. We're in this land. In fact, these guys are going to cut us off. And God, your reputation... Your reputation is going to be shot within this. Why did you bring us out? The other thing that happens in grief, we so soon forget God's faithfulness. They had a defeat, yes. But up until this point, has God been faithful to protect and provide for them all along the way? Parted the Red Sea, kept them in the wilderness went through and and punished a generation, brought another generation through, held up the waters of the Jordan River, defeated King Sihon and King Og, gave them Jericho and all of these things, and then they lost this battle. Instead of stopping and saying, in self-reflection, what did I do? What did we do? What did Joshua do? He blamed God. Have you ever done that? Where you blame God and you forget how faithful God's been? God is faithful all the time. We need to check ourselves and, and have a little introspective conversation. God, what is going on? In Psalm 139, 24, it says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any wicked, hurtful way in me. And lead me in the ways of everlasting way within this. Now, again, not all bad things is divine retribution. We know Job was a righteous man. Yet bad things happened to him, right? But did Job question, what did I do wrong? Yeah, he did. His wife said, well, curse God and die. You might as well just do that. So not all bad things that happen to us as a result of divine retribution, but personal analysis should be our first step. God, let me check myself. And let me see what's going on. I would encourage you to create the habit of, of really self-reflection. Especially when things are going sideways. And say, God, am I bringing this on myself? Is there something that I'm doing? Is there a hidden sin or a hidden practice? Is there something that's happening in my life that I need to confess? Because God is faithful. And and through trials, He's going to walk through you with this. God doesn't abandon Israel. He's disciplining them and teaching them. The other thing that I think is important to understand in Joshua's lament is he second guesses his leadership. Have you ever been in a place where things have gone bad and you go, maybe I shouldn't be here. Maybe I shouldn't be in charge. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Maybe I never should have brought the people over the Jordan River and we should have been content to stay where we were at. Joshua, no, you're a good leader. God God appointed you to be there. God gave you directions. Yes, you were supposed to go across. The problem is there's sin in the camp. And God's going to deal with it. And so as a leader, God's going to call up Joshua to deal with the sin in the camp. And it's tough to have to deal with sin and to confront it. Verses 10 to 15, God goes to Joshua and he demands that the sin is revealed and removed. When we look at the account, it says, Joshua commanded the people saying, You shall not let your, your voice be heard or let the word proceed. Or I'm sorry, that was six. <laughs> it says, so the Lord said to Joshua, Rise up. What is this that you have fallen on your face? Israel has sinned and they have also transgressed my covenant. God calls with a holy rebuke to Joshua and says there's sin in the camp. You need to go find it out. Now, I thought about this. I thought, okay, wouldn't it have been easier for God just to go to Joshua and say, Joshua, go deal with Achan? Wouldn't that have been easier? You know, as a leader in the church, I, 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 I'm going for easy. God, just tell me who it is, so I go take care of it. But God doesn't do that. Why? This is a lesson in leadership. Joshua, you need to go, and I'm going to show you who that is. But the lesson in leadership and correction and discipline is going to be a lesson for the whole nation. Why? So the whole nation will know that sin is not going to be tolerated in the camp. This is going to be a public discipline for the whole nation to learn within this. And so he needed to judge sin. In First Peter 4.17 says this, For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what then will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel? In other words, the church has a responsibility to discipline itself. And you say, well, I don't want to confront somebody's sin. You must. And there's been times when I've had to do that as a pastor. There have been times when I've had to have a conversation with somebody and say, you can't can't fellowship anymore until you deal with your sin. Why? Because it's healthy for the church. What would it be for God to go, well, you know, Achan's got a little problem with coveting. We'll just let it slide. No. We know Paul would have to deal with it in, the, in his letter to the Corinthian church within this. The word sin there is an interesting word. The word sin is hata. And it literally means to cross the line or transgress. When someone crosses the line, you've got to call them out. You've got to be able to deal with it. Achan had taken and stolen from God and he had deceived. And the consequences for sin was this. God says, I'm removing my hand of protection until you deal with the sin. If your household is in turmoil, check your household. And if you're the leader of the house, check yourself and then start checking and going what's going on. God, we want your blessing, not your discipline. And God demanded Joshua to deal with the sin in the camp in a very public way. And then once the sin and sinner was removed, he would bring, it, bring his blessing back. So what does Joshua do? Verses 16 to 23. Searches the camp. He gets up in verse 16, like he says, rose early in the morning, which I love, no hesitation, brought Israel out. And he lines them up. He says, okay, everybody out. Line up. And so representatives of all the tribes are there. They're all in this place. And Joshua goes around and says, okay, Lord, Which tribe? Can you imagine the tension that would go on? We don't know what's going on. Joshua would say, Okay, Judah. Everybody else, step aside. Judah, lines Judah up. And then after Judah goes, then the clan of the Zerarites. And then after the clan of the Zerarites, Achan's grandfather, Zebdi, was caught. And then man by man until it was naked. And and the other thing that's interesting in the word it says, and he was caught by the Lord. Joshua was walking, but it was the Lord that was catching him in his sin within this. And Joshua didn't hesitate. He systematically worked through it. And methodically with this this casting of the lot, or the Urim and Thum within this to root out that sin. And Joshua goes to Achan and says, My son, with patriarchal authority, my son. Give praise to God and confess your sin. You're caught. And the best thing you can do right now in honoring God is tell me what happened. Tell me the truth. Don't try to hide it anymore. And he calls Achan to acknowledge his sin publicly. Publicly in front of all of these people. And Achan declares his sin publicly publicly. Giving honor to God and he says, I've sinned against the Lord because God is the authority. I've sinned against the Lord and I coveted. He confessed his sin publicly. Now, as we read this, did something come to your mind when he said, I saw, I wanted, I took, and I hid? Have we heard this before? Genesis chapter 3, in the origin of sin, Genesis 3, 6 and 8 says this, when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, right, coveting, she took from the fruit and ate it, she gave to her a husband who was with her, so guys, you're not off the hook, and they heard the sound of the Lord, verse 8, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and the wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Remember, I said, where does this this thing to hide our sin comes from? It comes from the original sin. I don't have to teach my kids to hide their sin. They do it instinctively. Little kids. Did you take that? Nope. Didn't take it. And they'll hide it. We have to push back on on this this thing of sin that controls us to hide our sin. And we need to be honest before God and confess our sin. But here's the promise. If you confess your sin, God is faithful and just to what? Forgive you of your sin. But if you hide your sin, you're not going to prosper. God's not going to bless you. He's going to take his hand of blessing off of you. But if you confess your sin, God's faithful and just to forgive that sin. Now, the other thing that I think is important in in Achan's confession is he uses the word spoil and he doesn't use the word ban. You catch that? I saw the spoil. Now, why would he use the word spoil and not ban? Because in Achan's mind, he reclassified what he was not to take. Spoil was allowed. It was the normal usage of, of, if you had a war, you could take the spoil of that war. It was normal. In fact, the irony is this. When they go back to Ai in chapter 8, next week when we look at this, God allows them to go and take of the possessions of Ai. He was going to get rich. He just couldn't wait. But Achan reclassified the sin to make it plausible for him to use. It was spoil. Even in his confession, he really doesn't see his sin as sin. He didn't really truly confess it as being a ban. I saw what was under ban and took it. That's what he should have said. We need to see our sin the same way that God sees our sin. We have to. If we do not see sin the same way that God sees the sin, we open ourselves up to deception. To be part of and participate in that sin. It's just a little. Everybody's doing it. It's the new culture. It's the new way. It's okay. No. God, how do you see this? He confesses, and and the other things that I think is interesting is this. What did he see? The beautiful mantle, or the, literally the robe of Shinar. Shinar is Babylon. He saw a robe of Babylon. Is anything, does anything that has to do with Babylon good? Never. 200 shekels of silver. I did the math. 200 shekels of silver is 5 pounds of silver. At $128 per shekel, it was worth $25,600. 50 shekels of of gold or a wedge of gold was 1.25 uh, pounds. So he's got roughly about 6.25 pounds of, of gold materials and silver. The gold was $1,920 per shekel or worth $96,000. A, a little bit of stuff, a robe and, and, and something that weighs six pounds, it wasn't that much. Was it worth it? Was it worth it, Achan? We think about that. Eve, Adam. How did the fruit taste? Was it worth it? That little bite. God says to Adam and Eve, I will give you everything in the world. One tree you can't have. Achan, I'm going to bring Israel in. I'm going to give you everything in the land. One city belongs to me. And he violated it. It's sad when we live with these secret sins because they bring devastation. And so the condemnation comes in verses 24 to 26. It says this within the text. Then Joshua and all of Israel took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the mantle, and all of these things. They took him out and he condemned him. And he said, why did you bring trouble on Israel? All of the nation came out with stones. And they would put Achan and his. The sad part is, his wife and his kids and all of the livestock are all killed. You say, well, that's not very fair. That's not very fair. Why would these innocent people be killed within this? Because they weren't innocent. How do we know that the wife and the kids all deserve death? We know this because of the law. Of God in Deuteronomy chapter twenty four sixteen, and God will never violate His own law. In chapter twenty four sixteen of Deuteronomy, it says this: The father shall not be put to death for the sons, and the sons shall not be put to death for the fathers. Everyone shall be put to death for his own sin. What does that tell us? That tells us that the wife and the kids all knew about it. Why was the livestock killed? Why didn't livestock get saved and give to somebody else? Because why would God allow someone else to profit from another man who was a sinner? He wouldn't. The other thing that is interesting is Achan, when he violated the ban, he placed himself under the judgment of all those that were under the ban, just like the Canaanites. And so therefore Achan was destroyed just like the other Canaanites. They were stoned to death, everything was burned with fire, and a pile of stones was left there. And it was there for a long time within this. In the Valley of Acor. The Valley of Achor was renamed the Valley of Acor because it was called the Valley of Trouble within this. So the next time somebody sees you coming and they say, here comes trouble, say to them, please don't call me that. I don't want that. But more important is this. We have a a drive to believe that our private actions and our private sins don't affect other people. That's a lie. They do. It'll destroy your house. It'll destroy your community. And we have a community right now and, and a world that is being destroyed because people believe falsely that their actions don't have an impact on other people. They do. So how do we change the world? How do we change our community? How do we change our households and receive the blessing of the Lord? I can tell you this. Here's how you do it. Clean house. Clean house. Confess your sin before God and say, God, look at me. Look inside me. And if there's any wicked way in me, reveal it so that I might confess it and repent from it and be restored and restore the blessing of the household. And please, please, do not compromise. The blessing of the Lord has been promised to you, but He's not going to bless those that are acting unfaithfully. He can't. It's contrary to Him. So we need to faithfully follow the Word of God as given to us. Root out all the sin of our life, and then you'll experience God's blessing. Let's pray. God, I thank You for this heavy, heavy word. This... this, this teaching that you've given to us in this life of Achan and, I, and, and Lord I pray over those that are that are in this room or watching online we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God we all live in a flesh that wants to covet that wants to lie that wants to deceive and we live in this tension of a world around us that condones sin and says you can do this But as God's holy people, we must stand against sin. We must stand against the selfishness that drives self and the pleasures of self over the needs of others. Holy Spirit, search our hearts. And as we're praying, pray, God, search my heart. And even now, as God is revealing to you those things that you need to confess, Those things that you need to declare. Declare them to the Lord. And then, when you leave, remove all aspect or opportunity to continue in that sin. Whatever it is. Smash it with rocks. Set it on fire. Bury it, burn it, get rid of it. And receive the Lord's blessing. Father, I pray that even as we close now, we would experience your power and your presence to do that purifying work that needs to happen so that you, the bride of Christ, we as a church, would be pure before you. We thank you that we can come to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, Christ be
3: magnified.
1: God, we know that that you desire for your bride to be pure, and as we took a look at this account, these are hard words because it causes us to look inwardly. I thank you for your grace that is poured out upon us, your grace that is given to us to provide that transformation, the redemption. I thank you for you Holy Spirit who seek to build our lives not destroy them but you call us to be pure and holy because you are give us victory over sin give us courage when things go sideways and Lord Jesus most importantly when the world sees us may they see you and may they see your love As we go out today, may we live lives that reflect holiness, righteousness, and truth. And for the next generation that needs to see what holiness looks like, may we model that for them. We praise You and we thank You for this time. In Jesus' name, And all God's people said, Amen. And praise Jesus.